word. Good morning. I suspect that um, each one of us has a different reason for why we are here, why we continue to come, and why when we're in the neighborhood we know we cannot not visit. So for me, it's about family and belonging. It's about service. It's about being able to use my knowledge and my skills. And it's being able to develop spiritually in ways that were not known to me until I came to Star King. My first entry to Star King was in the spring of 2005. Keith and I agreed in the fall of 04 that I would move in with him in the middle of March. So it was around Valentine's Day, and people in the church <clears throat> were invited to come up here with their significant other, partner, spouse, however you define that, and to say something about love. Well, this was my first time here, so I wasn't getting up. <laughs> but Karen Cook came around. Keith was sitting on the aisle. And Karen tapped Keith on the shoulder and said, <laughs> Now, we all knew what that meant, but it meant something else. I don't know about you, but any church that I've been to, when you take a partner to church, it's like taking them home to mom and dad. So this was a concern to me because Keith had had a partner who was very much a member here, no longer at that time. And I wondered how, um, how I would be accepted. Oh my goodness. See, I belong to a church community in San Francisco and have since 1978. So when I lived in Oakland, <clears throat> traveling to San Francisco was not that far. But when I moved in with Keith to the Hayward Hills, getting to San Francisco became a greater journey. I had no idea what kind of a church community I would find. So in 08, when I needed a ride to um, a post-cataract surgery, I picked up the phone and I called Meg Jurich. And of course, she said yes. And when Keith had his surgeries, not only did he get notes of get well, but I got notes because people understood that I was doing the schlepping. I was making sure when he walked upstairs, he didn't fall. Picture that one. <laughs> and if you have ever been on the receiving end of something like Colleen and Dirk Dino's lasagna, which is to die for, we ate for a whole week. So I began to realize what it was like to become a part of another community and how rich I was. I had um, struggled when I retired to figure out two things. Once my income was severely cut, how would I continue to pledge in two churches? So I figured that one out. But the greater challenge, and for those of you who have retired, was an existential one. I had been working since I was 16. This is now 60 years later. And I have always worked. Can you identify with that? I've always worked. Um, so I worked with a life coach. And she said, Maleva, you just have to find a new way to be an educator. Oh, my goodness. 
You have allowed me to share my skills as educator, as organizational person, and have allowed me that space so that life in retirement took on a whole new meaning and one that is deeply, deeply appreciated because of your reception of me. But when Keith retired, there was a whole other challenge with regard to pledging. And this is no secret to anyone in the room who has changed jobs, changed salaries, looked at the rising costs of <clears throat> healthcare, of telephone, et cetera, et cetera. And I have, over the span of my adult life, been on a significant number of church boards. And now that I am here uh, and on the board of trustees and looking at those spreadsheets every week, you began to think every penny counts. So I continue to believe that every penny counts and that every penny that we think about putting here perhaps is not as worthwhile, but more worthwhile. I, I remember thinking, oh, I can do without lattes. I can do without a pedicure. I can do without, because what I am given in return is so much more. And I think about, in closing, um, I don't know if any of you know that there was a statue of Buddha and St. Francis in our garden. Any of you know that? Well, it's much too complicated for me to look at what the Buddha says about giving because I am not uh, versed in that faith tradition. But there was something from the prayer of St. Francis that spoke to me and that continues to speak to me as I think about my pledge, my covenant, my, my faith in this community to not only be what we are, but to do better and bigger things. And that is, it is in giving that we receive. And the, the what of what I receive is priceless. Thank you. This is a time in our service when we come together as a community to share our joys, sorrows, our hopes for healing, when we reach out within our hearts to those who are lonely and afraid and in need of prayers and good thoughts. From Mary Lasak, for my mother Roberta, who fell a week ago Thursday and last Sunday, her healing for her Prayer of healing for her L1 fracture. Thank you for sharing, Mary. We will keep your mother in our prayers. From Cricket, pray for rain. <laughs> Amen to that. I didn't write a slip, but I want to write a slip of, of gratitude and love for Heidi and James. Uh, really, welcome back. Welcome back home. It is so good to see you. <laughs> Heidi was the first person that welcomed me to the grounds of this church, who gave me a tour of this church and allowed me to fall in love 
with the landscaping, with the trees and the gardens, and who shared with me that when her father was alive and presented some challenges with his, his health conditions, that rather than uh, feeling either uh, ashamed or bad about her father being here um, in his full beauty, with his true whole self as he transitioned, that this community welcomed him, that this community made him and Heidi feel part of something so strong. And so radical inclusion and radical welcoming is something that attracted me and allowed me to say yes to being your minister in large part because of the good work of the search committee and people like Heidi who embody radical inclusion and welcoming. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. That's a candle of gratitude and love. We always light one last candle for all the prayers and all the intentions that remain in our hearts. May they be lifted up. May you feel that you are putting down a burden, even as you share in silence from your heart. Let us now take a moment of silence to lift up all the intentions and all the prayers. Thank you. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. I bet you wish you had more time. <laughs> Thank you so much. So the theme for this month is building your own theology. And today is Canvas Sunday. Canvas Sunday. If you are a first-time visitor, <laughs> I know that talking about money makes most people uncomfortable including this minister. But I hope that we can look upon this day as when we are reminded that we need one another, that when we are in trouble and afraid, we can lean on each other, that we can be reminded that it takes all of us to keep the doors of this church open, that being part of this community means both volunteering your time and giving your financial support to the extent that you are able. This is our opportunity to be generous, to really listen to the appeal to make a pledge that reflects our commitment to this, our beloved community. As you might know, Unitarian Universalism is built upon theological diversity. It is non-creedal, and we welcome people of all faiths and traditions, Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, humanists, agnostics, pagans, all of the above, none of the above. Ours is not a single centralized church, but an association of churches and fellowships under the Unitarian Universalist Association, or UUA. In Unitarian Universalist polity, that is, church governance, each congregation governs itself. Polity refers to our form of governance. It is a congregational polity, a government in which governing authority is with the local congregation, autonomous and independent. 
Every time a congregation calls a new minister, votes on a resolution of ethical witness, gives money to our denomination, or receives financial or expert assistance from the UUA, we touch on issues of congregational polity. Polity requires that we see ourselves as mutually responsible to and for each other. A congregation has two important rights and responsibilities, to call and ordain its own ministers and to control its own property and funds. Difficulties of congregational polity are often most visible around issues of money. We know that we avoid discussions of personal finances. It is even less common for us to talk about money among church friends than in any other setting. Our individualism and independence might lead some to an attitude that no one should tell us how much we should give. I think we need a more open discussion about money that can lead us to a better understanding of this mutual accountability and covenant. Just as we expect to find community support in finding our spiritual path, we should also expect to learn from each other about financial responsibility. We need to have more education on stewardship and more frank discussions about the meaning of our mutual covenant in financial terms. Our shared commitment calls us to the mutual support of this congregation. We are part of a collective that shares common principles and values. There are no bishops. Each congregation is responsible for raising the funds necessary to have a building, to hire staff, to pay for all our programs, to pay for repairs and maintenance, for insurance, for utilities. If you grew up Muslim, Latter-day Saints, Catholic, Sikh, Methodist, Seventh-day Adventist, Jewish, you are familiar with tithing, that is giving 10% of your income to the church. As Unitarian Universalists, we don't have scriptures encouraging us to give as a sacramental act, as an act of faith, as a ministry, as a spiritual practice. Much like our theology, which encourages us to be seekers, to build our own theology, and to decide for ourselves whether to be believers or not, we decide for ourselves whether to give or not. When we become members, we are not told to tithe or to give a certain percentage. We don't connect membership with pledging. Everyone gives what they can. But this has resulted in very uneven giving. Right? right now, our biggest givers are a core group of less than 10 people who have been giving for decades, 5,000 or more, more than their fair share for decades. And they are our elders, elders who keep hoping and waiting for new people to step up and pledge. We also have a handful of people who, even though they are not members, for various reasons, who have not signed the book, for good reasons, they still pledge. We appreciate them. We are so grateful for their contribution. Most people are pledging less than the 1500 per year that it costs, on average, to keep this church running. Almost 30 people pledge nothing. 
Can I say that again? If we look around and count how many people there are here today and realize there are 30 people who pledge nothing, and as a minister, I include pastoral care concerns when we approach people to take into consideration what their situation is, and we would never shame or guilt anyone into giving, right? But we know that zero doesn't show commitment and love for this community. Even one makes a difference, right? Every penny counts. So if you're enjoying singing in the choir, consider how much it costs to have our extraordinary, talented pianist Lindley with us every Sunday, leading us in song. Consider the importance of music in worship. Consider that she's acting as a choir director, rehearsing, teaching new songs when that is not even her job. We want to support her. We feel lucky she's with us. We want to keep her here with us. (laughs) So if you are enjoying the choir and you don't realize the value the pricelessness of Lindley's presence, the value of music in our hearts, in our lives. Think again. Pledge if you can. If you had children or have children in the RE program, you know that we are offering more than fun and games. It's more than babysitting. Our RE program is intentional. It's reflecting values that teach our children to love unconditionally, that lets our children know that they are loved for being exactly who they are, that show our children that we are people committed to social justice and engaged in doing community work that matters, that their identities, as they develop and grow, are sacred and holy and will be not just tolerated, but celebrate it. If you value this this community as an antidote to the cruel and hateful realities that our nation is suffering right now, you know that we are doing our very best to resist, to do the hard and the heart work that requires that we dismantle racism, that we stand on the side of peace with justice, and on the side of love, to be in solidarity with immigrants, to feed the hungry, to support people in recovery, to be a welcoming congregation for lesbians, gays, bisexuals, transgender, queer, intersex, plus, 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 non-binary, gender non-conforming, all of those communities are our communities. Now let me tell you, when I read the first draft of the pledge letter that you got in the mail, I thought, we need to be real. We need to get real. We need to use a language that lets people know that it's not business as usual right now that we have a deficit of almost $20,000. This is our reality. This is all of our problem, and we need everyone 
to be able to solve it, to keep these doors open. It's up to us. Our congregational polity places the responsibility on each and every one of us. Who can we lean on at times like this but each other? How do we get to a place where those who are giving zero can give more? Can we risk a bit of discomfort in talking about money and transform this energy into generosity? My colleague, Reverend Bill Neely, tells a story of when he was a kid. Every time he would go to the mall to have fun with his friends, he had to take a bus. So he tried to make sure that he didn't spend all his money at the mall, at the movies, playing video games, buying candy. So he would put his bus fare on the left pocket and would not touch that left pocket to make sure he was going to be able to go home. Well... Well, you know, one day, as he was getting ready to get on the bus, he looked in that left pocket for his bus fare, and that pocket was empty. He stepped down, and he just stood there, looking at the line of people getting on the bus, passing him by. But somebody, a stranger, saw his face and expression and said, I got you. I got you. And he got on the bus. And he said, thank you. And he got home safely. And he never forgot that stranger. He never forgot that gesture that stranger that God that he was afraid and in trouble, that stranger that didn't think twice about reaching into his own pocket, that made it possible for a scared kid to get home. Today, Reverend Neely calls that stranger's generosity an act of ministry, an act of faith by someone who was witness to someone in trouble, he said, there will be times when what gets us through life's most difficult moments is kindness, compassion, empathy, the love of another. Our faith teaches us to be that giving person and to receive with gratitude. Everything we do here, every ministry that we enliven is centered on that principle, on those two expressions of our faith, giving and receiving. In our pastoral care, social justice, how we teach our children, how we learn and grow together, how we connect during worship, everything we offer here is a gift we give ourselves and the world. Each time we are together, whether in this sanctuary or beyond these walls, we are living our faith in ways that bless us that bless each other even more than we realize. Right now, our congregation is at a crossroads. We are like that kid, scared and needing to get home safely. And we are also like the kind stranger who made a difference. Please, let us not be the bystanders. Let us say to our beloved community,
I got you. We can do this together. Let us be the people of faith who will keep our ministries alive and who will build new ministries for the generations to come. Let us honor our elders by picking up our fair share. Beloveds, if here you have found a welcoming community, if here you have found acceptance and celebration of your whole self, if here you and your families have found a refuge from the storm, if here you have found a purpose and a way to make real your values and hopes for yourself, for your family, communities, and our nation, now is the time to give back, to lean into our collective strength as a community, to find our balance with courage, with wisdom, with love for this, our community. Now is the time for an act of faith, and we are the ones to make it happen. We are the ones. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Thank you. Deep breath in, deep breath out, shake it out. Get ready to sing. Please stand as you're willing and able. Number 128 in the gray hymnal, 